Oral questions by members. Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, yesterday's budget was a huge disappointment for British Columbians with record high debt and projected deficits coupled with record low results. After two terms of NDP government, we're now left with the highest housing prices in North America. We now find ourselves with the longest cancer wait times in the country, and tragically, six people every day are dying of drug overdoses. And if, like the NDP, you're going to max out the provincial credit card, it would sure be nice if you had some results that you could show for that maxing out. And nowhere is this more clear than in mental health and addictions, where the Premier hinted at big change but failed to deliver. Nothing that eliminates user fees that are a barrier to access, nothing about actually reducing the already unforgivable wait times, not a dollar allocated to build any mental health and addiction recovery communities around the province. None of that is in there. Sadly, this government's entire focus is almost completely on publicly supplied addictive drugs and decriminalizing hard drugs like heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, and fentanyl. So why did the Premier raise false hope and deliver so little for addictions treatment and recovery? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, when we formed government, the substance use treatment system in this province was in complete disrepair. We are making historic investments to improve access to treatment so when people ask for help, help is available for them. So Budget 2023 invests $1 billion to expand services over the continuum. Repeat that, Mr. Speaker. $1 billion to expand services over the continuum of care, 195 new treatment beds to start, and many more as we expand regional care, new model of seamless beds to, or seamless care to support people in the recovery journey, new recovery communities to support people after they leave treatment, accelerating, accelerating our response to the toxic drug crisis, including prescribed safe source supply, more complex care housing for people who need higher levels of support. We are also bringing more crucial services to regions right throughout the province, expanding Redfish Healing Centre care, expanding Road to Recovery for seamless care, because when people need the care, they need to access it, and we are going to provide that. Leader of the Official Opposition Supplemental. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, sadly, that's not what's actually in the budget. The fact of the matter is, uh, this government loves to talk about how much more they're spending, but what they don't realize is that we're getting worse results as a result of their increased spending. <laughs> Adding five treatment and recovery beds a month over the next three years is hardly the kind of bold action that British Columbians were hoping to see. The fact of the matter is there are huge gaps between what we've been calling for as an opposition and what the Premier has proposed in this budget. We urgently, as we say, we urgently need to move away from their primary focus 
on publicly supplied addictive drugs and decriminalization over towards a focus on treatment and recovery so we can actually help people get off their And what should have been at the very top of government's list, what should have been at the very top, at minimum, is to ensure that there was free and ready availability and access to treatment and recovery regardless of their economic circumstances or regardless of where they live in the province. That would have been sort of the bare minimum. Instead, we're going to be left with the same long wait lists and exorbitant fees that are creating significant barriers to access. Nobody in this province should have to sell their car or mortgage their home to try and get care and treatment for loved ones. Nobody. So why did the budget fail to remove the barriers to access for treatment and recovery and make addiction treatment free? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And we know that the largest barrier to access treatment is having services available when and where they need it. Many beds don't have user fees, and our new beds will not have user fees. Actually, and Mr. Speaker, financial supports members financial supports are available to help people access those beds if they need it. We're continuing to build more treatment and recovery services around the province. But, Mr. Speaker, don't just take this from us. Don't just take it from me. I want to quote Johnny Morris, the CEO of Canadian Mental Health Association, BC Division. And he said, I would say the word historic does fit. I I've never seen the number one billion in the same sentence as mental health and sub substance use care in my 25 years of being in community Members. health It's an increase in a previous historic investment in this space. We absolutely acknowledge and welcome this level of attention. It's quite remarkable. Today is historic. Member for City South. Thanks, Mr. Speaker. My first reaction to the NDP addiction and mental health plan is actually sadness. Because like so many people in British Columbia, I had actually hoped that all financial barriers would be removed for all forms of addictions and mental health treatment, not just proposed future beds, all yeah, treatment yeah, beds. Yeah. And while the NDP made a big deal about listening to our better as possible plan, the harsh reality is that there is no sign of the Redfish expansion or recovery communities in the capital plan. Even projects that are listed, like the treatment centre on East 1st and Clark that was promised in 2018, was delayed to 2026 by this budget. It's simply unacceptable when six people a day are dying. So my question is, why is there no funding, no timeline, not even a hint of an opening date for the much-needed expansion of the Redfish Healing Centre? 
Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And this budget, it invests $169 million Members. over three years to build more complex care housing because we see the urgent need for this critical service. That is capital funding to support people who need the care when they need it. And it also invests in operating funding to ensure that we can provide those services and resources to the people when they need it. We know that we are expanding services across the province. We know that we are expanding the Redfish services. We're expanding that model of service so that we can provide those services. Members, please. And I know that the, the Minister for Mental Health and Addictions is going to welcome the opportunity to roll out this plan to show the significant details of how we are going to provide services right across the province. And I don't understand why the opposition thinks a billion dollars is no money, Mr. Speaker. Member for Surrey South Supplemental. Thanks, Mr. Speaker. Uh, and perhaps later on, the Minister of Finance will gladly point out the page where it indicates uh, the capital expenditures for these investments. We talk about we talk about care when people need it, and we keep hearing about the, the finance minister, and we've heard it before from other ministers in this house talking about providing British Columbians with care when they need it. And yet we've had people dying on wait lists waiting for care. They needed care in the years since you formed government. They need it today, they need it yesterday, and they need it immediately. But the reality is, is that the gaps between this budget and a real plan that prioritizes treatment and recovery are massive. Better is possible, and this budget falls short. Despite people waiting months for treatment beds in BC, the budget only promises to add five treatment beds a month over the next three years. While people are dying on wait lists, the best the service plan can say is that they hope to maintain current waiting list times. Why, after all the Premier's rhetoric, would the NDP stick with the deadly status quo of waitlist delays and costly fees? Minister of Mental Health and Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the, the member for the question, and indeed, thank, uh, I'm, I'm grateful. Um, to the official opposition, to all parties in this House for their, I would say, relatively recent interest on the part of the opposition in this, in this question. The members, fact is members, members, shh. members, order, order. Minister will continue. Since 2017, we have been addressing the fragmentation in the mental health and substance use system that existed when we formed government. We know, and I think all members of this House know, this was, this was the subject of much discussion during the Select Standing Committee, for which we are very grateful for the, for the input from British Columbians, for the commitment demonstrated across all members of this House. Since 2017, 
We have invested unprecedented resources in building up our treatment and recovery uh, resources, in building up upstream resources, on building on the good model of the of the foundry, which was wasn't a, was a was a model. That What British Columbians expect from the discussions that we have in this House are to recognize that good ideas come from, come from many places. And it's important that we are evidence-driven in the work that we do. So that, that is the work that we are doing right now with our health authorities, with the Provincial Health Services Authority, with our frontline providers to look at how we are needing to scale up and invest the unprecedented $1 billion investment this budget makes in mental health and substance use for British Columbia's honorable speaker. And I will just say, when it comes to when it comes Members. to the fragmented landscape of beds that we inherited in 2017, there are, in fact, under, uh, under the work that we have done to scale up treatment beds, more treatment beds that are, are free of fees than there have ever been in this province right now as a result of, of beds that we have and investments that we have made. And, 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 and that, that is, uh, we're going to be looking at how we, how we do uh, more of that with the investments we've made. Members, we have another speaker in the House. Let's show him how good we are, okay? <laughs> Leader of the third party. Oh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. In yesterday's budget, this Premier had an opportunity to rise to the challenges we face today by building community health centres or ensuring that there is accessible transit across our province. We could have had preventative mental health care and brought people with disabilities out of poverty. Let that sink in for a moment, Honourable Speaker. We have been pleading for this so-called progressive NDP government, a majority government, to do the bare minimum and lift people with disabilities out of poverty, and they didn't do it. We could have strengthened our communities and focused on the well-being of British Columbians. The Premier has a majority government, a $6 billion surplus, and an $80 billion budget, but instead of creating systems change, some renters will get an extra $33 a month six years after the government promised it. One-off rebates, unmet promises, and holding up old ideas are not going to make change. This is a budget that delivers status quo in a time when leadership is needed, and I would argue, Honourable Speaker, that we will always get status quo as long as we keep using GDP to measure success instead of following the lead of other countries who are budgeting and measuring their economies with well-being. My question is to the Premier. How is he going to measure success? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and, and I thank the member for the question. And I'll tell the member what uh, measure success is, is in putting in a budget that supports people, putting a budget forward that is going to support people right across this province. It makes record investments in supports to people with costs and, and put more money in people's pockets. You know, Minister Speaker, I have gotten so many, so many feedback, so much feedback, so many emails, texts from people who are so grateful for the free contraceptive. contraceptive.
people who are saying the expansion of the K-12 school food programs is incredible for people like uh, families across the spectrum, like low income or not. They are so happy because families are saying, we know that our kids are going to school. And, it, when the, and teachers are saying to me, when those kids can get those healthy meals, they can learn better. And so we're hearing that as well. You know, I don't understand that you know the member is is almost chastising that the like this is the first time since 2006 there is an increase to the shelter rate for persons with disabilities there's an increase Thank for you. persons on, on income assistance and we have to look at these things and there's many other things in the budget many other things that are contributing to affordability in this province leader of the third party supplemental thank you honorable speaker and it's it's very it's it's very interesting to me because the difference between a, a status quo and a gdp oriented as opposed to well-being, would be that we would move to universal food programs in schools, that we wouldn't increase the shelter rate by $125, but we would ensure that people with disabilities are lifted out of poverty. This is the difference between status quo and leadership. And another thing is clear, Honourable Speaker, this is not a climate leader's budget. In the Fraser Valley, damage from the atmospheric river is estimated to have been $17 billion. And yet climate is little more than an afterthought in this budget. In fact, this budget reduces the three-year funding of Clean BC by $300 million. Reduces. A climate leader's budget would, not, would stop short-sighted investments. It would have enough money to protect our communities from inevitable fires and floods. It would have a restoration economy at its core with good paying jobs for years to come. It would invest in community-based clean energy, not doubling down on expanding fracking. A climate leader would not rely on a panel of 13 people, 12 of them bankers, to guide its decision making. It would look to the solution makers across BC who care about their communities. Honourable Speaker, my question is to the Premier. Let me point out again. A $300 million reduction to funding in Clean BC, this government's favourite shield. Why is climate an afterthought in this budget? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, in Budget 2023, we are investing $1.4 billion in clean, sustainable futures. <laughs> expanding active transportation networks, we're pricing carbon pollution, we're bringing in eight new forest landscape planning tables to work with First Nations to protect more old growth and, and support sustainable forestry, over $100 million for parks and other recreation sites and trails, including to upgrade facilities and improve accessibility, more funding for the Clean BC Go Electric Commercial Vehicle Pilot Program to help businesses move to commercial zero-emission vehicles. We're increasing the Climate Action Tax Credit, Mr. Speaker, so that when when the carbon, credit or carbon tax does rise, people will actually get money to complement that. We're making sure that we're putting more money back into people's pockets. We're making sure that we're supporting people in this province. And that's what this budget is about. It's supporting people, Mr. Speaker. Member for Prince George Wilmount. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
Every day in British Columbia, we hear that British Columbia has gone from leading the country to being the worst in the country for cancer care wait times. Francis Tran, a former Comox Valley resident, died from liver cancer last year after a devastatingly long wait to see an oncologist. He was brought to the ER by his family in March where the doctors discovered a 10 centimeter liver tumor. Despite the urgency of his situation, Tran waited for 11 excruciating weeks before receiving his first appointment with an oncologist. And it proved too late. According to his daughter, Shannon Tran, and I quote, had he received medication in April or May, he would have had a chance. But having to wait the 11 weeks, so much growth of the cancer had happened, end quote. So to the Premier, after two years, two terms and six years of the NDP government, how many more people, like Francis Tran, must suffer and die because of this government's failure to provide timely care? Minister of Health. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, cancer care, uh, when a cancer diagnosis comes, needs to come, and it needs to come quickly. And that's why in successive budgets, Honourable Speaker, because we know, and the member talks about uh, one case, we know how people feel in those circumstances. We know it in all of our families, in everybody's family in BC. It's that's why over the last number of years, we have added physicians in cancer care every year, provided money for it, recruited for it, and we have to continue to do so. It's why in this budget and last Friday, the Premier of British Columbia announced a 10-year cancer plan that addresses issues around prevention and diagnosis and treatment and research that will build out and strengthen our cancer system. $440 million in this first period with more to come because these are priorities for everybody and every family. That's why we have to deliver such care in the public health care system. Member for Prince George Wilmore, supplemental. Well, what we do know is that British Columbia went from first to worst exactly. under this minister's leadership. Exactly. And he can shake his head all he wants, but the Canadian Cancer Society Cancer Statistics Report said that BC had the overall best cancer survival rates in Canada in 2015. Exactly. Announcements mean nothing to people who are waiting 11 weeks to see an oncologist in this province. So the minister can tout all the announcements he wants, but what British Columbians want is something different. I know the minister knows that it is vastly different for thousands of women diagnosed every year with gynecological cancer in our province. Maybe the minister would like to hear what oncologist Dr. Sarah Finlayson said, and I quote, it's heartbreaking. The wait times are the longest they have ever been in my career. The moral distress among our group is the highest it's ever been in my career." End quote. Plain and simple, this government is failing women with gynecological cancers. Two terms, six years. How on earth can the minister stand in this house 
and say that it's a priority when women are forced to endure completely unacceptable wait times. Minister of Health. Oh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, the member uh, talks about statistics. It is true that in terms of cancer outcomes, the British Columbia is second in the country and not first in the country. And it's absolutely our intention to be first in the country. Well, uh, Honourable Speaker, um, the information is the information. But I think what I uh, try and do and what we are doing is when we see problems, we address problems. I'll just give you an example. With respect to gynecological uh, cancer, we added 21 surgical days, 20 hours a week in this period, in this most recent period, to address issues of weights. That means practical things. It means surgeries for people who need surgeries. That's the kind of action the BC Cancer Agency is taking. And that's the kind of action that is supported specific, precise, has happened, delivering care to people right here and right now. And in a 10-year plan that will build out for what we know will be an increase in demand. Twice as many people over 75 in 10 years means more age-related cancer. So we have to continue to do what we're doing, which is take all the actions required to prevent cancer, to provide diagnosis and care and treatment. With respect to gynecological oncology services, we have, we have acted in the last few weeks to ensure that people get more access to care and we will continue to do so. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I believe I, I just heard the minister saying the work that they've done in the last few weeks. Um, uh, and just recently announced uh, a 10-year cancer plan that I believe was originally announced was going to happen in 2017. So these answers mean nothing for Anna Kane, who was diagnosed with gynecological cancer and is stuck waiting for care. So for the last two years, Anna and her husband Jeff would wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning and drive from Qualicum Bay to a drive or to a walk-in clinic in Courtney, where they wait in line, hoping to receive basic medical attention. Despite making 16 visits last year, Anna was only given blood tests and no other tests or antibiotics uh, for her bouts of constipation, diarrhea, and bloating. Last month, Anna was diagnosed, because these are symptoms of, Anna was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. This was done in a crowded emergency room, al her alone in a room, and she was told, it to get, told to get her affairs in order. So as Anna says, quote, our system is totally broken. After 52 years of marriage, Anna and her husband, Jeff, are left to sit by the phone day after day, worrying and waiting, while they wait to maybe get an appointment in the next month with an oncologist. So to the Premier, what does he have to say to Anna and Jeff and the hundreds of other couples and their families and their children who come to us on a daily basis desperate for cancer care? Minister of Health that we have taken action and we are taking action. In the last two budgets, that's $66 million incremental. The higher 70 and a quarter FTE physician roles in our cancer system, which is a significant improvement, including 41, this includes 41 new medical and radiation oncologists. And we have to continue to take action to do that. 
Yesterday, um, in their response to the budget, the, uh, the opposition finance critic was critical of the changes we've made to improve compensation and supports for doctors, including oncologists. I disagree with that. There is an international competition. This is, I believe, the best place in the world to provide care, and we will be, we are, we have been, and we will be actively recruiting more oncologists. All cases, Honorable Speaker, where people are dealing with cancer caused enormous challenges for families. We all know this. And that's why the BC Cancer Agency has taken action and is going to continue to take action. And why British Columbia needs the 10-year cancer plan announced and delivered by the Minister of Finance in this budget. And it's why we're going to continue to work to improve care everywhere in BC. Opposition House Leader. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, again, here today, we listened to the uh, Minister of Health uh, rattle off statistics, and, and uh, there's always a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of rhetoric that, uh, that is thrown out in this chamber um, from the Minister of Health as he tries to portray a system that is actually uh, in, in, in collapse. What the minister says and, and the details that he throws out there do not line up with the actual experiences of real people, a number of whom we have uh, profiled here again today. And the reality is uh, that under this minister, under this uh, government, uh, BC has amongst uh, the worst cancer care wait times uh, in the country. Uh, only 20% of cancer patients are seen within the recommended two weeks Mr. Speaker, that compares to 75% of patients in Ontario who are seen within that recommended two-week time frame. That is just one example. Mr. Speaker, I want to talk about another uh, a case, another individual, another person. Uh, Linda Van Hoof is a 77-year-old resident of the village of Chase, and she has been living with chronic lymphatic leukemia, a life-threatening disease. After undergoing back-to-back -back chemotherapy treatments, Linda was living a vibrant, healthy life for the past 15 years. But Linda's body has now stopped responding to chemotherapy, and her oncologist, her oncologist has recommended a drug called Idelalisib as her only remaining option. But here's the problem. Unlike many other provinces, this drug isn't funded here in British Columbia, and it costs $10,000 a month. Attempts by the family's oncologist to have the government reconsider and fund the drug have been denied. The situation is dire, and Linda's family is pleading for help. Linda's daughter, Ali Mackey, asks, and I quote, how is it that there's a drug that could give my mother more years of life, but it's not funded in the province we've resided in for 46 years, yet it's funded in other provinces in Canada, end quote. So my question to uh, the minister is this. When will the minister be accountable and fix BC's broken cancer system for people like Linda Van Hoof, Francis Tran, Anna Kane, and the countless other British Columbians who are in similar circumstances so that people in this province can once again receive the cancer care that they need when they need it? Minister of Health. Oh, uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. I, I think um, with respect to cancer drugs in this province, 
one of the things that we do in BC, and they do in other jurisdictions, is to ensure that healthcare professionals, that cancer specialists make decisions about those drugs. In British Columbia, we see on an annualized basis, 10 to 12% increases every year in our cancer drug expenditures, dramatically increasing the availability of drugs every year for patients. They've gone, in fact, Honorable Speaker, in the short last four years from about 280 million to about 390 million. And that means more care for people because we know that when care is available, that we want people to get access to cancer drugs. That circumstance is in place in most jurisdictions in Canada. It's why when we talk about access to cancer drugs, we have cancer specialists make those decisions. As we did, by the way, when other parties and other ministers of health were in office in this chair. All that was always the case, and the reason it's the case is you want that to be the case, that patients want that to be the case, the cancer specialist and the cancer process that makes those decisions, but they have consistently made those decisions in favor of patients. You can see it in the expenditures made, the expansion of drugs available, the continuing expansion of drugs available. It's also why you need continued investment in this public health care system, which the budget presented by the Minister of Finance does, because you can see that new drugs are expensive. They cost a lot of money, and that's why we are expanding dramatically, hist making historic investments in the BC Cancer Agency, in the Ministry of Health, to ensure, Honourable Speaker, that those drugs are available now and into the future. The bell ends the question period.